You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 82. Selling shouldn't be something you do to people. It ought to be a form of business friendship where you help people and you earn a profit. So if you approach it from that mentality, then the process of selling evolves to fit that mentality. And it doesn't go the, the old way of the, you know, the talker, the persuader, the, the coercive kind of a person. And selling becomes a very pleasurable activity. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, welcome back to the Star Coach Show, where we are going to explore some more strategies, tools, and resources this week to help us be the best professional coaches we can be. And we have a dynamic guest to help us do that this week. We are welcoming Jim Cathcart to the show. Jim is perhaps the most award-winning professional speaker on the entire planet. His awards go on and on. He's the past president of the National Speakers Association, has authored 18 books, and has delivered over 3,100 speeches. Jim today is going to explore several different topics with us as we kind of walk through his different specialties. And we're going to look at what is in with, within each of us that is sort of our special core talents, our gifts that we bring forward, and how do we help our clients tap into their unique greatness as well. And then how does that motivate us? How do we stay motivated to maybe even face the kinds of tasks that we don't really always want to face? And one of those is selling. We love coaching. Coaches love to coach. But sometimes the whole concept of marketing and selling is, is overwhelming. And Jim is going to help us focus on relationship selling, how we can provide the kind of value that we want to provide and help our clients get to the places that they want to get in a very natural way through something that he calls relationship selling. Now, Jim didn't just start as this very famous, successful speaker and businessman that he is now. He actually had quite a journey to get there. And I asked him to share his journey with us because sometimes I think as coaches, particularly for those of you who are just starting to build your businesses, we can get really frustrated about the time that it takes to get our name out there, to build the credibility, to build our list or our the way that we can potentially impact our audience. So the first portion of this interview is Jim walking through the the slow climb to success that he had and the different challenges that he faced. And I believe that that brings a whole lot of value to all of us when we think about 
the fact that we're still on our journey and we're still on that path. And Jim is obviously now very successful and has done many wonderful things, some of which I've already told you about, but he didn't get there overnight. So I encourage you to listen through his journey. And then we get into how to tap into our talent, motivation, and relationship selling. So let's go to our interview with Jim Cathcart. I want to welcome Jim Cathcart to the show. Jim, thanks for spending time with the Star Coach Show today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, you come so highly recommended and with such a plethora of information to share that I was sharing with Jim just prior to going into the interview that he left a blank slate for me. He sent me like hundreds of things that he could talk about and said, so what would you like? And, and we've talked it, we're, we've, we've narrowed it down to a couple things. So we're going to start with, Jim, what led you initially into this whole speaking and, and being a motivational speaker and all the other, th- an author and no, numerous things, but what led you down that path? Because that's not where you started. No, sure not. And I, I didn't know as a kid what I wanted to do. I had an uncle I admired. He was a dentist and I thought maybe I should become a dentist. Oh, I never started on that path. And then when I was in the Army at Fort Sam Houston, Texas, I met a, a fellow trainee. We were training to be combat medics and hospital corpsmen. And he was a psychologist. And I thought, well, that's a cool idea. And that really fascinated me. And then I got away from that for a while. I got a number of different jobs. And I thought, maybe I should go to law school. And so I started studying real estate law because I was working for an urban renewal agency. And then one day I was sitting there kind of bored at my desk. I was a clerk for the Little Rock, Arkansas Housing Authority. I was 26 years old, overweight, out of shape, two pack a day smoker, no money in the bank, no college degree, new wife and baby at home, no savings at all, no uh, connections in the community. But I wanted to have a big successful life and I had no idea what one looked like. Hadn't been around any. Just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. I've read all the books on urban renewal and decided that's not my path. And the next room, the radio's playing. And I hear this little daily program called Our Changing World. And this deep fatherly voice was delivering the message, five-minute message. And his name was Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale was the dean of personal motivation. That was his brand. He was on 900 radio stations all over the world. So he was a big deal at that he time. He was a big radio deal. He continues to be. That name is a name that's known. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like Dale Carnegie and, yeah. you know, Zig Ziglar, Norman Vincent exactly. Beale, Tony Robbins, some of the, the major imprints. Actually, Earl Nightingale's on the scale of Napoleon Hill, yes. author of Think and Grow Rich. Well, anyway, I heard him say in that little program that day in 1972, which was long before many of our listeners were born. He said, if you will spend one extra hour every day studying your chosen field, in five years or less, you'll be a national expert in that field. Well, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, that works. Wait a minute. I did the math, you know, an hour a day, let's say five days a week, 50 weeks a year, take a vacation, times five, that's 1,250 hours. Well, 1,250 hours on one topic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A leading expert in that topic. So I thought, 
even I, little old lame, never been an A student me, I could do that. Hmm, what do I want to be an expert at? I don't know. So it took me a few weeks and then it hit me. I want to do what he's doing. Right. It resonated with me. I was excited about it. He grabbed you from the other room over the radio. And I had two problems. I had never given a speech and I had nothing to say. (laughs) That will keep your fees low. (laughs) And so I thought, well, I guess I'll take him at his word. I will spend an hour or more every day studying the field of personal development, which was a a new field to me. I, I didn't even know it existed until then. But this was the beginning of an era that became, in retrospect, known as the human potential movement. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was interested in motivation and psychology and you know success strategies and stuff. So I started becoming a voracious, fanatical student of that field, spending one hour, two hours, three hours, entire weekends listening to recordings, which at first were on records and then, uh, yeah. then tapes. And, then and it's not like you could Google something. You were going no, to the library was, or getting... Google, yeah. was, Google was the last name of a guy in a comic strip. You know, it was Barney Google was the name of, of the comic strip. And that's where the Google Corporation got its silly name to start with. I didn't know. See, yeah. right there, we can end the interview. I've learned. There you go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, go forth and multiply. Well... Anyway, I didn't know what to do. So I was just grabbing everything I could. And I got all the old classic books, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Power of Positive Thinking, Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. And then I started going to seminars whenever there was a seminar. And there were very, very few back then. There was a group called Adventures and Attitudes that taught a goal setting and and self-development seminar. And I went to that. And then I found out that the Junior Chamber of Commerce, JCs, which back then had 350,000 members. Wow. Today, it's a little thing with like 50,000 members. But anyway, back then, it was as big as Lions Club and Rotary and all Mm -hmm. that. It was designed for people from 18 to 35. And it was designed to teach them leadership skills so they could be successful in business without having to go get an advanced degree or 20 years experience. So I said, I'm in. I'll join. So I joined a local chapter, a brand new chapter, got really involved. Yeah, when I say really involved, in the first two years I was in the JCs, I went to 400 JCs meetings. Oh my, you were really involved. How did you? When I say fanatical, I mean, look it up in the dictionary, (laughs) that kind of fanatical. So that's all I want to talk about, think about, or be around. So I was, I said, I'll, I'll lead the discussion for the leadership training program. They said, okay, here's the leader's manual. And I would read, okay, goals are important because they give direction to a person's life, true or false. You know, I mean, it was that mechanical at first. So I was was going through these things like that. Well, after a while, I got pretty good at it. And so people said, could you come to our chapter in another city and lead the discussions for us? And so I was leading this program called Leadership in Action. I ended up as the state chairman in charge of Leadership in Action, which was a series of training programs, did those 400 meetings in those two years. And for the first time in my life, won an award or two, you know, for being the outstanding state chairman, started being recognized as somebody that was a person to have at your meeting, Mm -hmm. and ended up my career changed directions. I so got all this job. time while you were doing these 400 meetings, you were still working a job eight to five? Yeah. And these 400 meetings were all 
unpaid. Every wow. single one of them was a cost, not a, a profit. But you were building credibility and your name. I, yeah, but I didn't realize that. What <laughs> I was building was knowledge and understanding. Okay. And so I was as fascinated as anyone else in the room each time I was leading a meeting. And I learned so much and I got so confident in, in directing conversations among others that my program popularity grew very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I ended up full time in the business of training and development, selling Earl Nightingale's training materials, motivational materials, door to door to businesses in Little Rock, Arkansas, back in the late 70s and then, or mid 70s. And then in 1976, 75, I got a call from the USJC's national headquarters, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They had 100 employees serving these 350,000 people. And they said, we want you to interview to become the national chairman in charge of leadership training. So the next day I was in Tulsa. Wow. You know, said to my wife, I'm going to Tulsa. <laughs> I sat down and I talked. Watch the boy. Me. I'm on my way. Yes. That's right. And I drove the few hundred miles to Tulsa and went into interview, submitted my resume, which was pretty lame. And basically the resume said, I've been alive for 26 years and I'm willing to work hard. You had actually built your resume another way, huh? Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah I earned my stripes. Yeah. And so they said, well, you know, we can't get to you for a while. We've got your resume. Thanks. It's nice to meet you. Why don't you go upstairs to the individual development office, which is empty because we're interviewing for that, and just hang out for a while. And then, you know, we'll get back to you. And I said, okay. So I went up there and I sat there for a little while. And then I realized, you know, if this is the job, I might as well do the work. Now, that's an interesting assumption. I don't know where that mindset came from. But I, I asked the guy who would be my boss, what projects are being worked on in this office at this time? And he said, well, this one. And I said, could I look over the materials? And he said, sure. So he left me alone for like two or three hours. I started doing the work. And another guy came in and said, who are you? And I told him. And he said, do you work here? And I said, no. He said, well, what? I said, just excuse me, please. He said, okay. And he left. Then the executive director sent word up to me, come back down. And I came back down to the executive office. And he said, what have you been doing? I said, I've been doing the work on this training manual. He said, already? You're not even hired. I said, well, somebody's got to do it. He said, okay, you're hired. So I worked there for two years, flew around the country, wrote training manuals that sold 70,000 copies, things like that, and then launched my career as a professional speaker and author. Now, I was going to say that writing those manuals was sort of the the beginning of all the books that you... And my dues. Yeah, yeah, I've written 18 books now. So one of your most famous books is The Acorn Principle. Yeah. What is The Acorn Principle? Well, if you think about an acorn, starting with an acorn, there's only one result you could ever get, and that is oak. Because an acorn cannot be a giant redwood or a spruce or a willow or anything else. It is destined no negotiation to be an oak. But whether it's a little scrub oak or a mighty oak that spawns millions of acorns over the years depends on what happens with that acorn. Well, the same thing's true for people. We have a seed inside us that is naturally designed to be a certain form, but that form as a human being allows thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of possibilities, but only along certain paths. 
You know, like if if I was born genetically blessed to be very, very tall, maybe professional basketball would be in my future. If I was born to be very, very tall with only one leg, then basketball is not in my future. So there's certain elements in your seed that limit you, and not just physically, but intellectually and emotionally and otherwise. And there are certain elements that make you naturally suited for something else. So what our task is in life, and this is what's so appropriate for coaches, is helping people, we're first doing this for ourselves and then helping other people discover what is that seed? What are you naturally suited for? How do you know what you're good at? How do you discover what's going to make your heart sing and your soul vibrate, right? Because when you find that, then you start life tailoring. First, you start career tailoring, you know, making career choices that allow you to do more and more of what you're suited for, less and less of what you're not. More and more resources to compensate for what you're not. More and more opportunities to allow the expression of what you are, right? Right. So it's it's all about tailoring your, your life, your career path, your business, your day-to-day habits, your lifestyle, your primary relationships, all those patterns are within your influence. You can't necessarily control them, but you can absolutely affect them. And the more more you understand who you are, what makes you you, not just your personality type, but all the other elements of you, Mm -hmm. then the more you can make good life choices. And life is about the art of choosing well. And a coach can certainly partner with their clients to help them tap into that and grow awareness about that and ultimately make good choices and move forward. Absolutely. And if you don't, then you're going to end up being like, you know, the acorn that was sent to Redwood School and got all this coaching to be a great Redwood, learning from the best Redwoods of all time developing Redwood skills and always coming in last in Redwood class. Well, what's that about? I work harder than they do. Yeah, but you're an oak, stupid. You know, get back in the oak line. <laughs> oh, so, oh yeah. 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 So one of the things that building on this is that that many coaches believe to like their heels at their feet, that they were kind of born to be coaches, right? So when I teach coaching at one of the training programs that I work in, we get students from everywhere. We get students who are CEOs who are ready to retire or lots of different executives from different fields, and but they yeah. feel drawn to coach. They want to learn how to coach. They want to be certain. They just want to take it to that level and they're motivated when they come in. Yeah. And sometimes things get in the way of that motivation. So when when you gave me that blanket of, I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, Meg, I was drawn to your motivation handbook and the different, well, the stories that you tell in there and, and just the, the, the strategies, the tools. I mean, this is the strategies, tools, and resources, right? So let's dive in a little bit into the field of motivation and yeah. how in particular people who might be working for themselves, which many coaches are, how they might struggle with motivation and some things that they might apply to, you know, kind of get over that. So, so sure. yeah, now, you know, most people, if you say, uh, they say, what do you do? And you say, I teach people how to motivate themselves. A lot of times they'll say they're extra punitive instead of intra punitive. In other words, they're not going to take, take responsibility for their own problems. They're going to say, I know somebody who, yes. right? 
So they say, uh, you know, I got some people over here. Can you motivate them? <laughs> no. What? You're an expert on motivation. You wrote a book called The Self-Motivation Handbook. You've been a motivational speaker for 41 years, 3,100 engagements all over the world, and you can't motivate them? No, I can't motivate anybody. I can certainly provide motivational direction, mm -hmm. but the only person that can motivate you is you. Yeah, well, no, yeah, but you can stimulate. Yeah, you can stimulate motivation. But when you think about motivation, take the word apart. Motive, action, motive, action, motivation, right? That's what it is. If it's only action, that's just generic behavior. If it's only motive, that's just wishes and dreams, right? You've got to have the desire, the motive coupled with action upon it in order to create something. So the only way I can motivate somebody else is to activate their motives. Now you could say, well, no, you give people motives. No. If they don't, for example, if I were to hold a gun to somebody's head and say, I need your money, they would probably share it with me. Not willingly. And not, not because they were motivated. No, yeah. no. But their motive wouldn't be to give me money. Right. It would be to avoid death. Right? Right. So if, if they didn't care if they lived or died, they'd just look me in the eye and say, take your best shot. You know, sorry, dude, I'm not sharing. And they defy me. Well, if someone doesn't want the reward or incentive or the, the trophy or the acknowledgement that you're offering your team for doing the work, they're not going to be motivated mm -hmm. to do the work. So what do you do? Well, you find out from every person in your organization what their motives are. How do you do that? Dialogue, listening, paying attention, observing their patterns. Over time, with each person in your life, parents, children, you know, any application, you can determine what stimulates another person and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And if you inquire, why'd you do that? What was that about? Then you learn more about what the underlying motive is, because it's not the wanting the new car that is the thing to go for. It's understanding what a new car means to them. Mm -hmm. New cars, prestige, you know, it shows that I'm important. New cars, transportation, it means I've got the freedom of movement. New car is a form of self-expression. I've customized it to be my car. Everybody sees it and they know it's mine. mine. You know, new car is, is proof that my spouse loves me. New car, you know, whatever right. new car happens to be. But it's not the car. The car is a tool. The motive is the key. And when you understand motives, it's a whole lot easier to motivate people. Okay. So let's look at the fact that coaches coming into their businesses have lots of motivations for wanting to do that. Yet they can they can hit some obstacles. They can hit maybe they thought it was going to be so much easier to start their own business than it really was. Or they the, thought the number one thing? Yes. Number one thing and this is same is true for professional speakers. I'm past president of the National Speakers Association and I know thousands of others in that field the same same problem. They they know their craft. They love practicing their craft, doing their thing. They hate selling new accounts. Yes. So the coaches say, oh, man, I'm great at coaching. I can, blah, 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 blah. I can do all that for you. How do you get new accounts? Now, a lot of online communication, referrals. You know, I've got a new brochure. My website's under construction, reconstruction. In other words, they got no answer. Mm -hmm. well, that's why I wrote the book, Relationship Selling. Selling shouldn't be something you do to people. It ought to be a form of business friendship where you help people and you earn a profit. 
So if you approach it from that mentality, then the process of selling evolves to fit that mentality. And it doesn't go the, the old way of the, you know, the talker, the persuader, the, right. the coercive kind of a person. And um, selling becomes a very pleasurable activity. So that's the thing, you know, most coaches that I've known, and I've known many, find it difficult to stimulate themselves to make new contacts, but they love practicing their craft. Well, and you are so on target. Every student who comes into the program is talking about wanting to coach, not wanting to market or not wanting to build business. It's sort of like, you know, I will, I will become a coach and they will come. I will build it and they will come. So (laughs) what are some other foundational pieces to the whole concept of relationship selling? Relationship selling is built on the concept that a relationship is a direct connection between people. You don't have relationships with things or organizations. You have relationships only with other human beings. And you don't have a relationship with a crowd. You have a relationship with each person within that crowd. So relationship is always personal. Even if it's a professional relationship, it's person to person. Person. And the essence of a relationship is the exchange of value. If no value is flowing back and forth, it's not a relationship. It may be a transaction. It may be a, a ritual but it's not a relationship. So how do you make a relationship more valuable? Well, the answer is in the question, more value. Mm -hmm. So how do I get this person to value me more? Find out what they value and help them get more of it. Now, what they value happens to be a motive. So all this comes back to the underlying impulse, right? right? So what they value, what they care about, what they think is important, what they think matters in the world is a direct reflection of their motive. Mm-hmm. Their motive to fulfill that, to acknowledge or, or serve that value is where the key to the relationship lives. And if I can find out what you value and help you get more of it, like Zig Ziglar used to say, you can get everything you want in life. You just help enough other people get what they want. Absolute truth and wisdom. Then all I've got to do is look at each of my relationships, the people I'm coaching, the clients that have hired me, the people in my community, anybody I've got a connection with, figure out what they value, help them get more of it, become a better and better and better solution source for other people. Mm-hmm. And they will start seeking me out. But I've got to communicate that I am that to the marketplace if I expect anybody to take the initiative to seek me. So for years and years and years, I've got to seek them with my message and then let them, you know, come through a filtering process to see if they're the right prospect for me. Right. So that circles then around two things were popping in, in my mind as you were talking about that. First of all, you that's exactly what you did when you got the job after starting on their uh, product. Yeah. You gave them value and they were then they you gave them value they were right paying up. for. Exactly. Yeah. You And that uh, made me stand out from all the other candidates. And it served you well. And it served them well. And and really, that's what I find. When we give value, if we just give and give value, value will come in return. It's not about, you know, ask and you will receive. If you give, you will receive. It's that flow. But the other thing that, that you... As you were talking about that, I thought about your public speaking and your long history of being a speaker and how coaches, one tool that they have is if if they build their skill, that they could be out there giving value through speaking. Absolutely. Yeah, I put together a course 
called the Confident Communication Course on how a person can build a practice as a professional speaker and become more effective, more profitable, more substantial in their market, their chosen path. And that whole thing was based on what I had done and what my colleagues had done over 40 years, or I think when I first developed about 35 years of paid professional speaking. All coaches might not aspire to to be keynote, but at the same right. time, I think there's some real value in thinking about speaking to sell or speaking to bring oh, value and, and create those kinds of relationships. Well, it's the best way in the world to sell your business because, or sell your services, because you're reaching so many potential buyers at once. I did a program several years ago at California Lutheran University where I'm an entrepreneur in residence now. But back at that time, I was approaching them and I said, I'll do a a free program for you as long as I can have a product display for my services and products in the room. And they said, well, okay. So I did a program on how to use public speaking to grow your business. Mm -hmm. And I used public speaking to grow my public speaking business. And so uh, that day I, I did what I did. And then I explained each thing I was doing just after I had done it. Here's what I just did. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Here's how that works. And here's how you can use it. And then I go into the next segment and I do a little piece. And then I'd back off and, and explain it. And at the end of the day, I had new clients and I got an invitation to be on the Dean's Advisory Council, where I've now been for 14 years. All through speaking and bringing value and and ultimately people realize what you offer, what you have, and and I want more of that. And you're a coach. You ought to be teaching other people how to be coaches, because when you do, they're going to see you doing what you do. They're going to understand the value of it. And they're going to say that's you know, I'm not confident doing it at that level. Could you come do that for us? And there you have it. That is a wonderful. So we've covered several different things. I mean, we talked about the acorn principle and I thought I wanted to talk about motivation and we talked about that a little bit, but really the whole concept of relationship selling is spot on. So if the audience would like to know more about you, I know that, well, first of all, we're going to post everything about Jim on, on the website, but you also have a one core competency credit training. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, that's with extracredits.com. And that's Lisa Patrick's company. Yeah, Lisa Patrick was a former guest on this show. Yeah, yeah, she's she's fun. What is your focus for that? For that that one, I'm talking about relationship selling. Okay, so if you want to know more about relationship selling, it might be worth getting Jim's course through Extra Credits to to further your learning and to get a competency credit. Yep. And cathcard.com has 730 pages of resources that are free. Excellent. And we'll we'll post that on the website for people to access. Yep. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, name them. But Facebook's where I live most of the time. So if someone really wants to know what's going on with me, I I post on there all the time. And And I post personal things, but not the kind of, I'm dining at the restaurant now. Yes. This is what I've ordered for dinner. I did this to achieve this, and here's how it worked. Here's an example. You know that. that okay, kind of, good. So it's a learning tool. Um, you, yeah, you're putting value way, on even for on coaches. School. For coaches, I I recommend that you do get active on Facebook. Do get active on LinkedIn. Think of LinkedIn as a free website and treat it like one and a great prospecting source. But on Facebook, 
participate in Facebook as if you are your product. So every post you make that has a personal nature to it, make sure it's compatible with the brand you're trying to build and the the level of communication or relationship you want to have with the people who would be the potential readers. I've got quite a following on Facebook, thousands and thousands of people, and I get feedback all the time on personal as well as professional posts. Mm-hmm. Some of them go nowhere, and some of them get you know two hundred reactions in one day. So, so that's a great. So, make your Facebook congruent with who you are professionally, your brand, and interact with people on that. Continue to build your credibility through that, and bring value through Facebook as well. You bet. Thank you, Jim, for spending time with us today and oh, sharing no, this fun. so I much information. My 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 privilege, but Meg, I appreciate it. Well, there's certainly something to be said for a career that has gone on for several decades. The resources that we have available for you to explore about Jim go on and on, and you're going to want to go to starcoachshow.com to be able to look at the books that he has and the extra credit course that he was talking about. We've also uploaded his TED Talk, which is full of value as well. So go to starcoachshow.com and on the resource page, you'll learn more about Jim Cathcart. In addition, you'll want to sign up for the ongoing book giveaway while you're on the website so that you have an opportunity to win one of the books that has been donated by our guests. I want to thank all of you who took the time to give an iTunes review after I requested this past week. We had several reviews that were given, and I'm just so grateful for that. I just want to encourage you to continue to leave reviews on iTunes if you're finding value in the show, because this is how we find more listeners and hopefully bring value to more and more people as they discover the Star Coach Show. So thank you again. Next week, you're going to want to tune in. We have Lisa Sampson with the show next week. She is going to talk to us about working with corporate clients and setting up alignment between the corporation and the client so that the energy and the focus of the session is all lined up or of the engagement are lined up even before the first session. It's an incredibly helpful interview, and I am looking forward to sharing that with you next week. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. We'll talk to you in a week.